Our second reading is from the epistle to the Philippians, Christians in the city of Philippi. This is one of the earliest texts in the New Testament, probably somewhere in the mid-50s CE, just about 20 years after the death of our Lord. Listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church, words very appropriate after that solo. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? May the meditations of our hearts together upon your word, O oh God, upon these words from the Apostle Paul and on, as well as the words from the prophet Isaiah and the words in the song, My Grown-Up Christmas List, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us as your people. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. No more wars, no more lives torn apart. Pretty apt for this news cycle. It's been a rough uh, and sad, heartbreaking time in the world, uh, not just recently, it seems like for years and years now. And the question the prophet asked and posed many, many centuries ago is still appropriate. How can we sing and rejoice in a strange land, a place, a land that we don't necessarily like, we don't find comfortable or even safe? How can we rejoice on this Advent Sunday? Well, we can just decide to do it. Bobby McFerrin wrote a very popular song. It seems like it's uh, just a few years ago, but it was more than that. And it was titled, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Let me quote a couple of lines from that great, great musical accomplishment. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. Look at me, I'm happy. And then the kicker, put a smile on your face. Don't bring every, everybody down like that. Ooh, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, ooh. Don't worry, it will soon pass whatever it is. Don't worry. Be happy. Easier sung than done. Easier said than done. Don't worry. Be happy. I remember years ago, um, many years ago when I was in my 20s, I was going through a very difficult time. And you know, when, when you're suffering, the people around you are affected too, the people who love you. And my mom was very torn up about what I was dealing with. And finally, she just got frustrated with me. And she said, can't you just be happy? I'm like... No, Ma, it doesn't work that way. Um, it is easier said than done, but it can be done. It can. Being joyful, even in exile, even in the midst of suffering. That's what we do 
as Christian people. It's how I began every memorial service or funeral service that I'm privileged to be a part of. You know, we, we're celebrating here in the midst of tears. The Christian people does not live on each end of the spectrum. It's either terrible or it's wonderful. We know that life happens in the middle. Do you remember back in 1998 when the Italian actor Roberto Benini won the Academy Award, Award for the film, his role in the film Life is Beautiful? which was set, strangely enough, given the title, in a concentration camp in World War II. And in that uh, Academy Award ceremony, when he, his name was called, Benini, in his joy over winning the Academy Award, literally danced over the tops of chairs and tables on his way up to the stage to receive his award. It was, you know, unsettling. He was so happy. He was literally rejoicing. And afterwards, when reporters questioned Roberto Benini about his display of joyful abandon, he replied, it is a sign of mediocrity when you demonstrate gratitude with moderation. It's a great statement, especially this close to Christmas, especially in a world where the shadows seem to have fallen especially darkly on the world and on so many people. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Isaiah said. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. On the ones who are trying to find a way through the shadows, through the wilderness. Isaiah utters those crazy, almost offensive words to a people who, are, who is suffering, a people who did not want to hear what he had to say. The evidence all around them, their five senses, told them a different story. At the time that Isaiah wrote in this chapter of Isaiah, a great empire, the empire of Assyria, was about to invade the northern kingdom of Israel, and it wasn't going to be pretty, and it wasn't when it happened. Everything was crumbling all around them. The armies were literally at the gates, a power a hundred times more strong than Israel's power to defend itself. There was nothing they could do to get out of it. They tried everything possible. Bad times were coming, and yet at this moment, Isaiah is telling them that the light he's talking about, the one that's coming to them, is a light that can best be seen in darkness, in shadow. That's what we're expecting and waiting for this Advent that kind of light. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. So that's a takeaway for us this morning as we look at these two texts. The light of Christ at Christmas isn't just another decorative light competing with all the other lights we see around us, all the other decorations we put up so that other people can see and think that we're happy and everything's fine in our lives. This light is different. This light is one that only works in the middle of the night, when the power is off, when you're all alone, when you're with your true self, and maybe even overwhelmed by anxiety or worry or remorse or fear or depression, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them light has shined. You, O oh God, have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. 
these people, the ones in darkness, rejoice as with joy at the harvest because the yoke of their burden across their shoulders you have broken. If you've been bumping around in the dark for a short time or for a long time, if you're right now not sure where you are at all, seeing a light means everything. So this light that's coming does more than just decorate. It gives hope. It gives a way forward. And it's a sign of mediocrity when you demonstrate gratitude for that light with moderation. This morning, I want to talk about the Christian vocation and calling, in other words, your calling and my calling, to exhibit joyful exuberance and heartfelt gratitude, even in pitch darkness, even in world chaos, even in this kind of strange, horrible, sad polarization that we're all caught up in so much of the time, and especially on the third Sunday of Advent when churches around the world, like the Richards family just did for us this morning, are lighting the candle of joy, the pink one. So I want to start this morning in a joyful tone with a little story by an author by the name of Michael Noonham entitled, Of Cats and People. How many of you are cat people here? How many of you are definitely not cat people? I see Sarah's hand go up. I'm still sad about that. Here it is, of cats and people. Lord, this cat you gave me, she just doesn't listen. I told her the rains were coming. She goes out anyway and comes back soaked. I told her not to lie in the weeds, yet every day she comes in and expects me to pull the stickers out of her fur from lying in the weeds. My cat, Lord, embarrasses me in front of the neighbors by instigating disputes with their cats. She thinks she owns the whole block, yet she never wins a fight, not one. She is constantly doing what she ought not to do and suffering the consequences. Worse, she seems to blame all her misfortunes on me. At least she expects me to deal with all the results of her disobedience. I always do, but yet she, my cat, never seems to learn. Furthermore, Lord, she has never missed a meal, but when she's hungry, she yells as if she hasn't had a meal for weeks. My cat makes it sound as if I'm negligent and cruel. The truth is that I always feed her and even give her treats. Just wanted you to know, Lord, to top it all off, she is often distant and ignores me until she wants attention or for me to provide her with something. This cat makes me feel used. Sometimes I wonder if she even loves me or just loves what I can give her. It's a pretty one-sided relationship now that I think about it. Despite all of this, I love the cat and I've chosen to keep her. Lord, that makes no sense, but I know you'll understand. Then the author adds, draw your own conclusions. What's this all about? Could this author be saying that cats and people aren't all that different after all? That God loves us still anyway? We are a very fortunate people. We are blessed people here in this place, no matter what challenges we're facing right now. That's the truth. 
in our little, you know, can't see the forest for the trees mentality, if you're like me, you get caught up in whatever is in front of you, whatever challenge, whatever thing is bothering you, or it's not working out the way you wanted to. But from a little bit of a distance, we're all incredibly blessed. Ultimately, we need not fear anything. Why? Because God is crazy about us. God is crazy about every human being on this planet. Crazy with love. God is crazy this morning about you. And Advent's message is this, from God. I am so crazy about you that even when you can't see me, I'm coming. I'll be there. No matter how bad it gets, I'm coming for you and for this world that you're a part of. You never have to doubt that. The light will shine in the darkness. So let me ask you a question. Maybe you've thought about this. Maybe you haven't yet. What is God's will for your life? Your particular life. I hear people ask me, and we talk about it in conversations and counseling sometimes, I just don't know what God wants for me. I don't know what God's will for me is. Is this God's will? Is that God's will? Did I go this way or that way? Did such and such happen to me because it was God's will? Well, would you like to know what God's will is for you? I've got it. I've got the answer right here. I can tell you absolutely without hesitation or without any trepidation that God's will for you is right there in Philippians 4. Paul wrote it to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Just keep doing the things, Paul says, that you have learned and received and heard from me. And the God of peace will be with you. There it is in black and white. There it is in Greek, if you read Greek. God's will for you and for me is to be joyful, intentionally joyful, steadfastly joyful, strangely, ironically, grimly joyful, if you have to be, to rejoice as if you really are confident that no matter what, the Lord is near. The French theologian and philosopher the late Teilhard de Jardin, who once said, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. Did you catch that? Joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. This is one reason why Presbyterians, affectionately known by other denominations as the frozen chosen, have had trouble getting people to stay in church after they visit. Because joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. Our calling is to be joyful. It's not to be excellent. It's not to be good. It's to be joyful. The Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, is a book of joy. Kaufman Kohler writes that in the Jewish encyclopedia, there is no language that has more words than Hebrew for joy and for rejoicing. Hebrew religious ritual demonstrates God as a source of joy. In contrast to other Middle Eastern religions, especially ancient religions, Israelite worship was essentially a joyous proclamation and celebration regarding who God is and has been and most importantly will be 
for the people. That's God's will for God's people. To be joyful, to pray continuously, and to give thanks to God in all circumstances. And that's one of the responsibilities of being a person of faith that a lot of us tend to forget, which is simply to be joyful, to look joyful, to treat people joyfully. I tell my students in seminary in our preaching and worship class, the most important sermon you can preach is the look on your face. Be joyful. Maybe it's the innate joyfulness of children that caused Jesus to use a little child as the sole embodiment, the illustration of what it is, what the kingdom of God is. It's this child. He saw it. Pastor David Siemens tells about a letter written in the second century CE, just about 100 years after Paul's letter to the Philippians, that sounds unfortunately, like a lot of Christians throughout the centuries, a young man writes to a celebrated Christian leader, one of the early church fathers, and the young man said, Sir, I am in earnest about forsaking the world and following Christ, but I am puzzled about worldly things. What must I forsake? And the celebrated eminent Christian responded in the second century with a return letter that said, You must forsake colored clothing, for one thing, Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that is not white. Stop sleeping on soft pillows. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you are sincere about obeying Christ, take any more warm baths or shave your beard. To shave is to lie against God who created us and to attempt to improve on his work. Talk about a killjoy. Better is the words found on a plaque in another pastor's office in many centuries later. If you have the joy of Jesus, please notify your face. What is God's will for your life? Be joyful in all things, even when there's no reason that you can see or anyone else can see. Somewhere I read about a Sunday school teacher who gave her class an assignment to read Isaiah chapter 9, which we read this morning, for their Advent lesson. And then the next Sunday in Sunday school, she asked the class how many had remembered to read the chapter. Most of them sort of tentatively raised their hands. Wonderful, she said. I have got a piece of candy for anyone who can complete the second half of the verse. The people who walked in darkness... All hands went up. They wanted that candy. But the kids, like a lot of grown-up kids, couldn't exactly remember what came next. One kid said, the people who walked in darkness used less electricity. Another kid said, the people who walked in darkness stubbed their toe a lot. The people who walked in darkness spent most of their time sleeping. The people who walked in darkness were usually robbers, was another answer. The people who walked in darkness, one kid said, ended up in the wrong room. The people who walked in darkness, finally the little girl said, could really use a flashlight. (laughs) Laughing is one expression of joy. The psalmist writes, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with the eternal pleasures of your right hand. That's what it is to be in relationship with one who loves you so much. One who is always coming to you 
no matter what situation you've gotten yourself into. Christian joy comes from the simple and beautiful pleasures in life, certainly. Christian joy comes from loving and being loved, definitely. It comes from walking daily in relationship with a God as difficult and challenging and wonderful as that relationship is. Christian joy comes from believing that God is calling you to make a difference, to light, to bring, to bring light to someone who is in shadow. Why should we sing and be joyful in a strange and foreign land, in this hard and angry world? Well, because we're loved, and so is this world, and it needs to know that. It needs the light to shine. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So keep doing it. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen.